Good morning, everybody. Glad that, glad you're here. Ben was trying to like usher me on with music and I just cut him off. Thanks, though, for that. I was excited. I haven't been speaking here in a few weeks. And so it's good to, to be uh, before you guys this morning. My name is Alex Barrett and I'm the campus pastor here at Church in the Valley, Alhambra. John, as he was giving announcements, talked about our business meeting being in Chino and a service on the 17th being in Diamond Bar. And you may be wondering, like, why would I go out there? And the reason is we actually are a church that got started, like Randy mentioned on the video five years ago uh, from Church in the Valley Diamond Bar. And the anniversary of our church total is uh, 30 years. And so our story uh, is connected to the 30 years. And so that's why as a church here in Alhambra, uh, we want to connect with our campus in Diamond Bar. And we're one church, but two locations. And so we want you guys to get a vision of something that you're a part of that's even bigger than what you see here in Alhambra. And so I encourage you to come uh, to that on the 17th. Like John mentioned, uh, anytime you think of going to church, you're always thinking of the obstacles. You have to wake up, you have to get ready. And then the thought of like driving on the freeway and having to go past the 605 and like going into that area, it seems like it's foreign land potentially. But I encourage you to, to, to make that drive, to wake up earlier, if you can, to even get there for breakfast. Um, because what, what it will do is it will give you a chance to uh, interact with people of this campus and give you a chance to interact with people of our other campus in Diamond Bar. And I think that it will really encourage you to see what God's been doing in the lives of people at Church in the Valley the past 30 years. And then we hope to encourage you as we look towards uh, the future. So if you can mark that on your calendar, we freed up that day completely uh, here in Alhambra so we could be completely freed up. So there's a part of you that thinks like football starting and I could sleep in like I never get to do my Sunday brunch anymore. Don't mark that as a free day. Mark that as a day where you could actually travel and maybe God could use that to expand your vision. And so that that flyer in there is for you just so you have details. But we hope to see you there on the 17th of September. Uh, like I mentioned, I have been off speaking uh, the last few weeks. And again, I'd like to thank the guys that have filled in uh, over the summer. I try to take a little bit of a break so I can kind of get out of the normal uh, schedule I have in speaking. But it's, it's really good, actually, to hear uh, from the other men in the congregation, to hear what God's been doing in their lives and hear from them. And so I really appreciate uh, the different men uh, that shared. But today I'm back and starting a new series called Minor Prophets, Major Mission. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at a group of books in the Old Testament of the Bible. And if you've never heard of Minor Prophets, uh, I just want to give you some brief context of what we're going to be talking about. And I want to start with a brief overview of the entire Bible. OK, uh, up here on the screen, you'll see uh, what makes up the the entire Bible, what we have today. Uh, many times at churches that when I grew up, everyone carried their Bible with them. Anyone grow up in church and like you're used to having a Bible and like the thicker it is, like, you know, it's, you thump it a little bit, you know. Anyone like, right, you know, you'd carry your Bible with you. And like, if you didn't have your Bible, like you weren't as good as somebody who had it is what it seemed. Right. Well, technology today, um, most of you don't have your Bible. And that's because it's either on your phone or you're going to see it up here on the screens. But in the old days, if you didn't have your Bible, you weren't going to be able to read what the scriptures said. And so the book is is a big book made of 66 books total. 
So when we talk about the book of the Bible, it's actually little books contained in kind of one whole story. So there's 66 books and there's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And you'll see right here, there's a, a, a set called the minor prophets. Now, if you played baseball, you may hear minor prophets and you may think minor league, like it's like good, but it's not as good as the major prophets. Well, in the Bible, it's actually not the same. Minor prophets are different than major prophets, prophets because of their length. Minor prophets are usually shorter and their focus is narrower. Major prophets are usually longer and their focus is broader. So that's what the reason, the difference between the major and the minors. It's not on importance. It's actually on length and focus. However, of the course of this series, we're going to be focusing on five of those minor prophets. And so if you've never read any of these books, um, you'll see some words up there. And there may be a party that says like, wait, that's like in the Bible. Right. You look up here and you may see words on here that you've never even seen before, heard before or said before. But what you find is that when you dig in the scriptures, there's actually so much insight and truth that can, can be found in each part. And our job is to dig into the scriptures. And as a church, our role is to help you to do that and to also talk about the entire scriptures over the course of time. And so we're going to be digging into five of the minor prophets over the next five weeks, one for each week. And we're going to focus on the book of Jonah, Habakkuk, Malachi, Haggai and Hosea. Those five. And we're going to be pulling out the major lessons that we can learn as we read those books, I'm not going to be reading those entirety. You know, if you're worried that I'm going to just sit up here and read, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to highlight the themes. And so some of the themes that we're going to cover over the next few weeks are themes of redemption, themes of what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love others? What does it mean to be on mission uh, with God? And then what's faith and how does it work? And so what you find in these a minor prophet is specifically the five that I'm going to be talking about. These themes are themes that we actually deal with today in our world. And that's what you find again and again. When you dig in the scriptures, people are people. And God is God. And he's always been. And while people change our needs and who we are, they've actually they're very similar over time. We all want to kind of know our meaning and purpose. We all want to know what do we do, the things that we've done that we regret. We all want to know how to move into the future with success. We want to know how to find peace. All these things we wrestle with just like they did thousands of years ago. And so we're going to be pulling out these lessons with the hope and the goal of understanding what is our mission here and now in our world today. And my role as a pastor is, is to help you discover that the Bible and God himself wants to lead you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And the way that we are led by God and the way that we understand who he is, is, is you have to dig into the scriptures and get to know him. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go on this journey and pull out these lessons, which we can apply to our life. So starting the series, I want to start with kind of some broad uh, stroke themes related to God and his relationship with us. And it's actually found in the book of Jonah and Jonah is who I'm going to be talking about uh, today. Now, if you grew up in church, you may have heard of Jonah before. Has anyone heard of Jonah, the story Jonah? Okay. What do you usually connotate Jonah with? A whale. Okay. A big fish. Yeah. 
Jonah is, is this guy that you may have heard of before that's somehow connected to a fish. And so we're going to talk about that today, but we're not just going to talk about the fish. We're going to talk about Jonah and his life and kind of the process that, that he had in his life of learning how to walk with God, despite not understanding the things that God asked him to do. But as you find in the scriptures from the beginning to the end, it's actually all about God and the mission and his purposes. That's what it's about. As you dig into the scriptures, what you find from the beginning to end, it's about God and his purposes. Okay. And so the book of Jonah highlights that as well. And I want to kind of start with this major point. God desires when you dig in the scriptures and when you dig into Jonah to give grace and mercy to people near and far. That's what God is about. He wants to give grace and mercy, his grace and his mercy to people near and far. Now, I'm going to start not at the beginning of Jonah, but I'm going to kind of start at the theme verse of Jonah, which shows God's heart. And this is what he says to Jonah in Jonah 4:11. This is actually towards the end of the story. And he says, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than one hundred and twenty thousand persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And so he, he's sharing his heart. Should I not pity? And now pity in our language today, kind of you, you feel sorry for. Well, when God says he pities them, there's this brokenness that he experiences from seeing a group of people that don't have direction, that don't know him and are completely lost. And he describes them as a group of people that do not know their right hand from their left. Now, if you remember growing up, do you remember when like you kind of learned how to remember your right hand from your left? And I remembered like your left, it makes the L. Did you guys do that? Like that was awesome, right? Like you learned that at a really young age. But pretty much today, like if somebody says raise your right hand, like I'm usually good. Now I will do the room check. Like, okay, yeah, we're all, I'm on sync with everybody else. But you learn that at a really young age and it's pretty basic. But what God's saying is there's a group of people in the city of Nineveh that are great in their status. They're great in their power. They're great in their fury. But when it comes to knowing me, God, when it comes to knowing their purpose, when it comes to actually knowing what life is all about, they are, they are like little babies that don't know the difference between their right and the left. They don't know the difference between right or wrong. They're completely mixed up. And I have pity on them because in their loss of clarity, in their lack of purpose, in their desolate place, I want to be their God. I, I want them to know me. So at the beginning, you get this sense that this is what God is about. Now, I want to describe this grace and mercy that he wants to extend. And in the scripture, God's grace really means that he gives us what we don't deserve. That's what God's grace is. He gives us what we don't deserve. And the Ninevites, I'm going to describe a little bit later, but they're a group of people that were independent from God. And the Ninevites are just like us and actually every human. We long to be independent from God who made us. That really is our sin problem. We have all sinned. We've gone our own way. And in going our own way, we, we just rebel against God. We decide that we know better. We decide that our way is better than his way. We're self-sufficient. We're independent. We're good enough. But because of our sin, we actually are not good. Because of our sin, we're actually lost. Because of our sin, we're broken. And we may be physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. Because God is holy 
and he's perfect. And our sin separates us from a relationship with him. But God's grace is he actually gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us the chance to turn to him. He gives us a second chance. We don't deserve it. Our sin separated us, but he gives us a second chance. And all the scriptures point to this grace and mercy that comes. In the Old Testament, it's pointing to the coming Messiah who will save the people from their sin. And then in the New Testament, it's the celebration of the fact that the Messiah came in the person and the flesh of Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament is pointing towards this grace and mercy that's sent. In Jesus and the New Testament proclaims he is here. And you look back and see what he did by dying on the cross so that our sin doesn't separate us. But by the grace that God gives through Jesus, we can know God. This is the whole theme of the scripture. We're lost. We're independent. But but through Jesus, because of the grace and mercy that he brought. We can have a relationship with him. That's what grace is. We actually get what we don't deserve. Now, his mercy is he doesn't give us what we do deserve. All of us, because of sin, because we've messed up, because we've gone independent from God and we've rebelled against him, we we deserve to be alone and broken forever. But. This grace. We don't deserve, we don't deserve death and and God gives us life instead. And so this is the best news that any of us could have. And this news we find in the Old Testament of the scriptures. And so you can dig back and you look in history of God interacting and his mission. He created us and he created us to have a relationship with us. But even though we've messed up, that relationship can be renewed and restored through the person of Jesus Christ. So even in the Old Testament, you see this theme that's pulling us towards the need to be saved, the need to be found because we're lost. In the book of Jonah, we see this. This is on the heart of God. He has pity on the people who are lost and do not know him. So that's kind of the broad stroke of what we're going to be focusing on the next five weeks. God is on mission to give grace and mercy that he has to people near and far. People that may seem good, they still are broken. People that may seem so far off and completely ruthless, God still wants to save them. So God has a mission. And then the second big idea that you get from the book of Jonah, and this is where it gets real, is that God uses his followers to accomplish his mission. There's a part of us which, if you've walked with God a while... That you can kind of hear things and just like, yeah, I know. Have you ever been to church? And it, it's okay. You actually don't need to shake your head. You don't need to say anything. But I know what it's like. You go to church and if you've grown up in church and you've been around church, you hear things again and again. There's a part where you're like, yeah, I, I know. Like, I, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Do you ever say that to your parents? Like when you're a kid? Or if you're a parent, you ever see your kids and like, yeah, I know. I know, Dad. I see that. But I do that to God a lot. Yeah, I know. I've heard it before. This is the kind of thing, though, that can never get old. God's on mission to extend his grace and mercy. But instead of that being God's thing. Good job, God. That 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 makes sense. 
God says, and I want to use you. And the using you can never get old. Because he's always wanting us to be on mission and partnering with him. And that's what you find in Christianity. It's a relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. And that relationship is real and it's active and it thrives when you pursue God. And it thrives when you receive his power to do his will. And you see that in the book of Jonah. And that's what we're going to be talking about. So God uses his followers to accomplish his mission. You find this in the beginning of the book of Jonah. Okay, so I kind of gave you God's heart. He has pity on these people. They're completely lost. He wants them to experience his mercy. Jonah, Jonah 1, the first two verses, says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now Jonah knew God. He had a relationship with God. He was an Israelite. He was part of this, this called out people. He knew the history of his people from the beginning to slavery in Egypt to being rescued out of the hands of the Egyptians, of coming into the promised land. He, he had this, this history. He knew God and his interaction with his people. And the day came when God said, because of my heart, because of my mission, I want you to arise and go. To that city. So there's a key question. Once you know God's mission, and once you know that He wants to use His followers to accomplish it, the key question is Will I obey God and do what He wants? That's what Christianity is all about. Once you decide to follow Christ and He leads you, and He becomes the boss of your life, the question is Will I obey God and do what he wants? In fact, this question is really the question that you need to ask to decide if you're ready to follow Jesus. Because when you, like Jeep described last week, when you walk through the door and decide to follow him into the with God life, when you decide to do that, you're saying to God, where you lead me, I will go. And what you ask me to do, I will do. That's what it is. It's not being saved just from our sin. It's being saved from our sin to go on mission with God himself, to have a relationship, to make a difference in the world. And so that's the key question. Now, if you're familiar with this story, you know the answer Jonah gave. Will he obey God and do what he wants? Well, let's read on and and find out. This is verse three, chapter one, verse three, but never good, right? Never good. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Every time I say, I'm just going to say this in full disclosure. Every time I say Tarshish, I feel like I'm Sean Connery. (laughs) Just all morning. I just need to say that. Get it off my chest. Okay. Because all morning I've said it. And I just kind of make myself laugh. And it, it's three times in this. Okay. So, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So three times you find that he went to a place that's not called Nineveh. Okay. That's what you need to realize. 
They emphasize it, not just so guys like me have to struggle saying it. They emphasize it to say, like, God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I'm going to Tarshish. Okay. And then twice. It describes how he was going. Well, he's going from the presence of the Lord. And then it says away from the presence of the Lord. Now, what you find in the scriptures is that you actually cannot ever escape God. Right. You, you can't go to a place where he is not. You can't ever be anywhere where he can't see you. Now, that should put a little bit of fear like God sees everything you do, everything you've ever done. He knows what you're going to do. So there's no hiding. But in this scripture, it's describing the presence of the Lord as the will of God. He went away from the will of God because the presence of the Lord is where God has you. And what he wants you to do. So when you go away from his presence and when you go from the presence, you're actually not in his will. You're going rogue. Okay, if you've seen any of like the Bourne movies. Jonah Bourne, okay, before there was Jason, it was Jonah. If you're wondering if that's on my notes, that was not at all. That was just that just came to me right now. Okay, Jonah Bourne. He just went rogue. He went completely. You want me to go to Tarshish? I'm going to go in the completely different direction. Okay. So the question is, why? Why would Jonah go rogue and not do what God asked him to do? Well, the Ninevites, that was the capital of Assyria. It's about 500 miles northeast from Israel. It's where modern day Iraq would be. And this group of people were brutal. They were vicious. They massacred their enemies. They mutilated prisoners. Uh, they, they took out people. Um, they, they were the most kind of brutal group at the time. And so Jonah can be seen as, man, why, why would you not do what God wants you to do? Well, there's two things. He wasn't going to like this great vacation spot. God was asking him to go to the heart of the darkness. God was asking him to go to the, the people that were brutal people. And so it was a big ask, one. But two, Jonah, he wanted them to pay. He didn't want to be a part of God's grace and mercy being extended to them. He actually kind of longed for the justice that they should get. For God to deal with them how Jonah thought he should deal with them. And so this, this tension, that, that's why Jonah, Jonah fled. And he describes this to God. This is a very honest verse in the scriptures that you find from the heart of Jonah. And this is what he says. And it also reveals God's heart. For I knew... That you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This further fulfills and shows the mission of God. God wants to extend his grace and mercy. And you know what? Jonah knew it. And the thought of this group of people being saved was the opposite of what Jonah wanted. Now, isn't that just kind of a raw picture? 
Jonah's just honest with God. I, I don't want that, that people to be saved. I don't want to help them. I don't want to do what you've asked me to do. That's not in my plan. That's not in my goals. That's not my ambition. I want to do what I want to do. So it's real honest. God has a mission. And Jonah just said, I don't want to be a part of it. I'll flee from you. So Jonah fled, got on a ship. And as he got on the ship, the storm began to rage. Now, what's interesting is, remember, he fled from the presence of the Lord and he was away from the presence of the Lord. But when that storm started to brew on the ship, what do you think Jonah was thinking? Was he away from God's presence? And what you find is he knew full well what was happening. So I want to kind of pick up the narrative and I'm going to speed up a little bit so we can pick up the whole story. This is Jonah 1, 8 through 12. The group of people that he that came on the ship or that he came on the ship with start to realize and connect dots. Ever since you came on the ship, this storm has been brewing and death is like upon us now. Something is going on. This is what they said. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Okay, so so picture like all this is happening and this is like full on. We're going to sit you down and we're going to interrogate you. Who are you? Where are you from? What's your name? Let us know everything about you. Because ever since you come on this ship, everything is a disaster. And then Jonah, just kind of nonchalantly, it feels like he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, isn't that such an interesting statement? He's on a ship in the middle of the ocean. And they are involved in this like gnarly, gnarly storm. And everyone's like fearing for their life. And he attributes God to not only the creator who's made him, but he's made the sea and the dry land. I just think that's such an interesting statement. Like, you know, you're rocking and everyone's like, what's happened? He's like, oh, yeah, I, I serve the God that made this sea that we're maybe going to die on. You know, he's just kind of like connecting the dots for them. Like, this is what's happening. And then in verse 10, it picks up and it says, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? What are you thinking is basically what it's saying. What are you thinking to turn away from this God who's pursuing you? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So they knew this guy's up to no good. They let him on the ship anyway, thinking like, well, he's fleeing God. Maybe God's not going to find him. But in this instant, they realize, never mind. God knows exactly where you are. And you brought his judgment on us. And then in 11, it says, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now, there's kind of like split, like nobility and and fear in Jonah or even stubbornness, because basically he's saying, like, I know I'm the issue. If you throw me off, you'll you'll be saved. But notice he's kind of just giving up, throw me off the ship, I'll I'll drown. And really, this is all be over. I don't have to go to Nineveh anymore. My life's over. I won't have to deal with this. He's just basically saying, like, my rebellion is complete. Throw me off. 
And so you know what the guys did? They threw him off. You know, they weren't kind of like, well, no, they, they had seen the power of God. They'd seen the hand of God. They weren't wondering, like, is God real? This God you say you serve is real. In the middle of the storm, they knew all that they needed to know. God was real and he's found you. So they threw him off the ship. John, Jonah 117. This is where the story kind of picks up. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. I, I just I love I love that picture. What does God appointing a great fish look like? Right. He, he, he's made it all right. So he, he's the creator. And he knows every fish in the sea, not just the small ones, but he knows the great ones and he can appoint them. And I don't know, like, has God named him? I know he gave Adam the name of things, but does he know all the names? And do they, I mean, tons of questions, which you don't have time for, but I think that that's just great. And he appointed, it just shows the power of God. He appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now, it's actually not a whale. It's not the same word in Hebrew for whale. So it really is just a great fish. We don't exactly know what it could be, but we know it's a large enough fish to swallow up a grown man. Okay. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So we know it's a large enough fish to swallow up a grown man. And he's hanging out there in the fish cave for three days and three nights. This is why you got to read the Old Testament stories, man. A fish was appointed by God to swallow up Jonah and he did it. And then Jonah is hanging out in the belly of the whale. Man, you guys are like, can Ridley Scott put on the screen? Come on, people like this is this is exciting stuff. So God used this to, to rattle Jonah to get his attention. And the basic line is don't run. Don't run from me. If you run from me, I will find you. And I'll make my way known. And you will know that I'm your God. You cannot run from me. So there's like this comfort, like in a fatherly comfort. Like if you're to run away from dad, like I know if I ever run away from my parents, I wasn't going to get that far. This is before cell phones and tracking, but like they had that like sense. Like they could just, yeah, he's, he's there at Tyler's house. They would have found me. And what God's saying is, like, as a dad, he's not going to let you run away. He's gracious. but He's not going to let you rebel for long. There's times when you rebel, God will spank you. There's a cost. And for Jonah, it was in the belly of a whale. And so during this time, he, he actually decided to get right with God. Now, saying that, just doesn't that just seem like an understatement? Like if it takes a fish to swallow you and for you to hang out there for three days, I've been in like muggy places. I've been in places that stink, right? But I've never been in a fish. Like, like don't just kind of gloss over this. Like it was time to get real with God at that point. And so Jonah has he has time. And, and through the book of Jonah, you find kind of what happens in there. But it gets to this like this, this big point. And in Jonah 2, 9, 
he gets to the point where it's like, okay, God, I, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to rebel. I'm not going to do what I want. I'll follow you. I will do what you want me to do. And in two nine, this is what he says. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, if I'm Jonah, I'm thinking, like, I'm going to sacrifice to you, and it's going to be a big fish. That's what I'm thinking. But at that point, he didn't know if his life was going to be spared. It's like, okay, God, it's kind of like I tap out, like, I'm not going to run from you any longer. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I will take you at your word and I will obey you. Your mission is my mission. You're my God. I will be your son. I will follow you. And then Jonah 3, 4, or sorry, uh, 3, 1 and 2 says this. Oh, no, 2.10. So I'm getting, I'm getting excited. I'm getting away from myself. Jonah 2.10. This is important because remember how he appointed the fish? Well, Jonah 2.10, it says, and the Lord spoke to the fish. So again, there's this interaction. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. If you're ever teaching boys or girls, go to the book of Jonah and like read 2.10. It'll be all, like they'll, they'll get their attention. But could you imagine being on like the beach or on the dry land? This would be like the most epic viral video ever. (laughs) Like the Bible is alive, people like you got to read it and see like this crazy work that God does. God spoke to the fish and I don't know what he said. Like it's time. I don't know. But the fish knew. (laughs) Jonah's dry land. He's out. And then the story continues in chapter three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying. So it's so interesting because Jonah knew the whole time what he was supposed to do. God was very clear. God is so clear with us. We have his commands. We know his purposes. We can read it for ourselves. We can have a direct relationship with God. Jonah knew. But even out of the grace and mercy, God wanted to remind him wanted it to be clear. And he says the same thing. Verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And then in 3, 4, you find that he did it. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So notice, the message was one of God wants to bring grace and mercy. But what you find in the Old Testament, which is true in life, is love cannot be separated from truth. And God's grace and mercy cannot be separated from the truth of who he is and his standard and his commandments. And Jonah didn't have this message that would make everybody feel good. The message was you are evil and your evil has been brought before the Lord. He sees your evil deeds. You need to turn from it. Or you're going to experience his judgment. And at that moment, did Jonah have just a little, little taste of that? Yeah, he saw. When you rebel and you go your own way, you experience judgment. You experience the storms. You experience the pits. So Jonah came with that message. God wants to give mercy to you. But you need to turn from going your own way. And you need to live the life that God wants you to live. So God 
God has this heart for these people. And Jonah didn't. He went his own way and realized that my way, there is no life in my way. There's no life in my rebellion. I'm going to follow you. And he doesn't. And see what happens. Jonah 3, 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called out for a fast and put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is this picture of like mourning, of sacrifice. Like our life is not going good. Like let's put on these clothes that show like we are broken people. From the greatest of them to the least of them. So the most powerful people at the time realized their brokenness and sin because they were doing evil in the sight of God. And the call from Jonah was a call of love connected to the truth of who they were and what they needed to do. In Jonah 3, 5, which I just describes, they, they believed God. They turned from going their way. So that just, it, it, it's such a, just this great picture. God sees what we don't see. Jonah, he didn't, he didn't see this. We see the impossibilities. God sees his hand. We see fear. What God wants us to do. And God sees that he will use his people to do mighty things. So the question is, will I obey what God wants me to? And then the story goes on in verse 7 and 9. The king makes the statement and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beasts herd nor flock taste anything. So we're all going to fast. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and turn from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So the king saw the predicament that we are headed for destruction. In 40 days, if we do not change, we are going to be destroyed. And they knew that from an Israelite named Jonah who realized that he needed to do what God told him to do. So I want to kind of wrap up with this, this thought. Okay, we have God in his mission to extend grace and mercy to people near and far. We have the truth that on his mission, God wants to use us, his followers. We are the people that his mission gets accomplished. The question for us today is staying on mission means that we obey God and we ourselves have to proclaim his love and his mercy to those around us. So I want to just kind of close with this, this idea for each of us. We have people in our lives that we don't want to share God's love and mercy with Jonah. It was a distant people for us. These can just be people all around us. These can be people that we call family. We call friends. These could be people we live near in our neighborhoods. If God wants to extend his grace and mercy to people near and far. And he uses his followers. The question is, who does God want us to share this with? If you're a follower of Christ, who does God want you to share this with? So I just want to encourage you, if, if you have your hand out and you're taking notes, there's a place on the bottom 
where I'm asking you to list people in your life. Who are the people that need to hear about God's grace and mercy? Who are the people that need to hear about the truth of their independence from God and the fact that they need a relationship with Jesus Christ? This is why we exist. To be on mission with God, to know him and to make him known. That's what it's about. That's why we exist as a church. But it starts by we have to see the people that God has already provided around us. And we can let our preferences, we can let our busyness, we can let our goals, our ambition, we can let so many things get in the way of the mission. The mission to tell people about the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you. Write down the people in your life, like physically, like do it. You can start right now, but I encourage you to to write those people down. And I want to ask you to to go on a challenge with me over the next five weeks. We're going to be speaking on this series for five weeks. So for the next five weeks, who are five people that you could love in your life with the goal of sharing God's grace and mercy to them? Oftentimes when we say love, it's an idea and it's an action. But I'm talking about the kind of love where you're willing to share with somebody how they can be saved. How they can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. What five people in your life could you do that with in the next five weeks? If that's what God's about and that's his mission, and he's calling us to be a part of it, then how does that start? Well, it starts with the circles of people that we relate to on a regular basis right now. So I encourage you to think through that. Be specific. List the people. And then ask God, God, help me to meet and to speak to five people over the next five weeks who I can share your love with. What could God do if each of us did that within our church? What could God do? It'd be amazing to see us take a step of faith and say, you know, God, just like Jonah, I'm I'm full of fear. And just like Jonah, I have a lot of different things that I have on my mind. I may have a different picture of what I want to do, but I'm willing to go on mission with you and to share your grace and mercy to people near and far. So I encourage you, write those people down. That's your first next step that you can take every week. I go through next steps. I'm going to invite the band up as I wrap up. But I encourage you to take that, that, that next step. If you're a follower of Christ, he wants you to be on mission. What better way just to think through who could you be on mission to, to share with? Okay. Second is if you're not a follower of Christ, and maybe you've been around Church in the Valley a long time, maybe you've gone to different churches, and maybe you're just investigating Christianity, you're not sure what it's all about, I want to encourage you, like the response of the Ninevites, they saw that they were living independently. They saw where they were headed and they, they decided we, we need to turn to God that he may have grace and mercy on us. If you've never decided to do that and turn away from going your own way and instead of living independently to join with God in a relationship with him, I encourage you to, to make that decision today. God longs to give grace and mercy to you. He longs for you to know your right hand from your left. And all of us have come to the point where we realize we, we need to be saved. 
because spiritually we're, we're dead. So I encourage you. There's a box that you can check if you're, you're interested in learning more about what that means. And I'll follow up with you. And here at Church and I, we would love to help you learn what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the last next step is to come back next week as we dig into another minor prophet. And, and think about inviting a friend, somebody who could just get a little bit more exposure to the Bible, to church. Maybe it's one of those people that could be a part of your five. So think about somebody that you can invite. If you want to mark that on your connection card, that'd be helpful. I'd love to pray for each of you as you do that. Finish filling out your connection card if you haven't yet. And I'm going to pray. We're going to receive our offering. And you can drop that completed connection card in there. And then the band's going to sing another song back to God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Jonah, his example, that we can see how you interact in history. And God, I'm just like Jonah. And I think we're all just like Jonah, where the bottom line is there's things that we'd rather do than obey you. And there's things that you ask us to do that really we don't want to do. So God, help us to learn from Jonah that we experience the best kind of life when we're on mission with you. Show us if we're running from your commands in any way. Show us if we're being stubborn with our own plans. And God, if there's anyone here that's not yet decided to follow you, God, I pray that they will see your mercy as something they can experience today. And they'll decide to turn their life over to you. So we ask this in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks, Alex.